Would you please stand for the reading of God's Word? In Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. Hear God's Word. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Word of the Lord. Please be seated. All right. So we are in, we're coming to the end of the Great Commission. We're going to focus in on this last line today of these final instructions that Jesus gives to his disciples, commonly referred to as the Great Commission. So I want to focus in on this line, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. We began this series by looking at the, at the beginning of the commission, what actually happens before this these famous words, and Jesus begins this, you turn that down just a little bit, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So what I want you to see is every instruction given to the disciples, go, make disciples, baptize them, teach them, it's all sandwiched between two things. Jesus' power, it's backed by his power, and his presence. Right? So there's this bookend to this Great Commission. It begins with Jesus' power, and it begins with presence. I keep trying to figure out how this maps onto our own mission statement. Our own mission statement, as I hopefully you all got memorized by now, Midway Mennonite Church, a welcoming community, nurturing followers of Jesus. So on the back of your bulletin, put it on your fridge, remember it, paint it on your wall, on your doorpost, tell your kids when you rise and when you know. What's the most important word in that whole mission statement? It's Jesus. Like we can form community. You can do lots of different forms of community. We can teach people things. Uh, we can um, do lots of things as a community. And if Jesus is absent, if Jesus' power and Jesus' presence is absent, we will flounder. We might be able to do some good work. We might be able to uh, make our community a little better place. But we will not be able to carry out the mission that Jesus has entrusted us if he is not at the center of that mission. So what I want to do is look at that promise that Jesus makes, that he will be with his disciples then and now to the end of the age. This phrase, I am with you, or I will be with you, we see that in a number of places in Scripture. And oftentimes there's this pattern that happens, right? So, so, so God will come to someone with a commission, with instructions. Commonly, the response is fear or doubt. God will then respond to the fear and doubt with assurance of God's presence, right? So commission, fear, doubt, assurance of God's presence. We see one example of this as we see in the, uh, the prophet Jeremiah. At the beginning of the book, the word of the Lord comes to Jeremiah, and it says this, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you, bo- you were both, I set you apart, born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. 
right? We've got a commission. You're going to be a prophet to the nations. Jeremiah's response to the commission, I don't know how to speak. I'm too young. You know, essentially, you've got this wrong, God. God's reply then is, says, don't, don't call yourself young. I'm going to send you out, and you're going to do whatever I command you. Do not be afraid, for I am with you, and I will rescue. Call, objection, assurance of God's presence. Same pattern with Moses' call, which is a call we looked at closely in our series on Exodus, one of my favorite uh, stories, because I think it's just so humanizing. Moses is out on Mount Sinai, Mount Horeb, tending his flocks. God comes to him in the burning bush and tells him that, Moses, you're going to bring my people out of Egypt. Moses' response, who am I to go to Pharaoh to bring the Israelites out of Egypt? God's response, I will be with you. Right? So pattern. Commission, fear, objection, I will be with you. Of course, Moses just keeps going, right? That's just the beginning of Moses' objections. Uh, people, they're, they're not going to know who sent me. They're not going to listen to me. They're not going to believe me. I'm not a very good speaker. I love it. God just so patiently listens to Moses' doubts and fears. And then Moses just finally says, can you just send someone else? I, it's almost like all these objections, really, I just don't want to go. This is, uh, this is the anti-here-I-am-send-me response. And I like it because I think we can relate to Moses. Moses, he may not have had the most exciting life tending sheep in the wilderness, but it was, it was stable and predictable. But we like stable and predictable. Stable and predictable is good. And the commission that Moses uh, it gets is the opposite of stable and predictable. Go to Pharaoh. Go to the, 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 the powerful empire of Egypt. Bring my people out. Right? It, sounds, it sounds scary. It sounds impossible. It sounds exhausting. And it's not, just, it's not just Jeremiah. It's not just Moses. When we get to this great commission, it's important to notice this kind of strange line at the beginning of, that leads up to the great commission of the disciples saw him, Jesus. They worshipped him, but some doubted. Like, some doubted. Like, what exactly is there to doubt? The, the risen Son of God, the crucified Christ, stands right in front of you. What in the world are you going to doubt? Like, this is something, this is helpful to me because, um, I don't know about you, but when I'm, I'm wanting a word from the Lord, a leading, uh, I'm in a season of discernment, and I, I want to just say to God, can you just do this very plainly? It could be a burning bush, that would be interesting. Could be from heaven. It could be an audible voice from heaven. Even the best of all would just be the risen Jesus Christ right in front of you. Like, who wouldn't want that? Like, apparently, probably most of us wouldn't want that if we think about it. If we look at the biblical accounts, there's this. This I think this little sketch illustrates this. Um, I got sent this video by Christian a couple years ago, but it's these comedians and um, and they're having a prayer group in a house. Right? It looks like a lot like a prayer group we might have. There's Bibles, and we're gathered around, eight or nine people, earnestly praying to God. And one of the guys says, Father, please hear our prayer for the poor. We beseech you for the disenfranchised, the less fortunate, that those who suffer. Show us your will so we can continue to do your work. Everyone's nodding. Yes, Father, yes. All of a sudden, there's this bright light and a voice from heaven that says, I have come to answer your prayers. Listen carefully to my instructions. It's hallelujah, 
hungry. Everybody at this point just gets down on their knees. Voice of God. I want you to sell everything you own and immediately begin service to the poor. And they start looking at each other, alarmed. Just want to clarify, everything? Yes. Look at each other, There's alarm, discomfort. Finally, one guy goes, it's haunted, it's a ghost. And they flee the house. And it's this great sketch because I think, if you're like me, we want to hear a word from the Lord, but oftentimes we want to hear a certain word from the Lord. It's not always easy to discern God's will. That's true. But often, if we're honest, that's not the problem. Because if this pattern in the Bible is continuing on today, which I think it is, commission, fear, assurance, even if we were to get a direct word from God, I think we'd find a way to question that or squirm our way out of it very quickly. Like that's just what people do. We see that pattern again and again. We spent a couple months now talking about this commission uh, given to Jesus' disciples then and now. Make disciples, baptize them, and teach them. And we've talked about, one of the things that I've tried to keep emphasizing is that this isn't my call or just my call. This is all our call. If you are a professed disciple of Jesus, this is your call. It will look a little different for each of us, but this is your call. That we are called to go out and share the good news, to make disciples, both by witnessing to Jesus in word, but also our deeds, our, an embodied witness, through hospitality, through our jobs, these various places. And I don't know how about you, but I have doubts about my own ability to make disciples. I have some fears about going out of safe, comfortable places like these to witness to Jesus. Am I the only one? I must be the only one. Does anybody else have any fears about if we were actually to do what Jesus said and go make disciples? I think, well, thank you. I got a few nods at least. Sometimes I just feel tired. This all sounds very exhausting. Sometimes I wonder, can we just be Christians? That, that, that woman said to, to recount that story, do I have to be a disciple? Can I just be a Christian? And sometimes being a Christian, sometimes being a disciple sounds kind of exhausting. And I'm comforted by these stories of Jeremiah and Moses and the disciples to know that, 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 that we're not alone. And in fact, that fear and doubt are not the opposite of faith, but an element of faith. That if you feel at the end of, as we come to the conclusion of this Great Commission, if you feel doubt, if you feel fear, that's normal, it's probably good because you actually understand what the commission is. The easy thing to do is just bounce off and say, well, that's not for me. Let me give you an example. I haven't talked about mountain climbing in a couple months, so I have to talk about mountain climbing. It's kind of my thing. When I'm climbing a mountain that has a section, it's been a while, that has some exposure, that has some risk, if I'm going to take someone else on that climb with me, the ideal is not for that person to have no fear. Like, that would make me nervous if we got up on a section that had real risk and the person felt no fear. Fear focuses the senses. You know what's at stake. You know what's at stake if you were to make a mistake. There's good things about fear. But you also don't want somebody who is paralyzed by fear. Because that's just as dangerous. To get stuck up on a ridge in a lightning storm because someone has become paralyzed by fear, you do not want to be uh, in, that, in that 
Neva had a flashback to something like that happening, or Krishna did, sorry. Yeah, so, so maybe don't go climb mountains with me, I guess, would be the, uh, the thing. But here's my point. There's a, there's a healthy amount of fear, because you know what's at stake. But if it comes to a point where you're paralyzed, that's not good. If you read this, if you're at the end of this Great Commission, which we'll do one more week on baptism next week and we'll be done, um, it, should, it probably should make you feel a little nervous. should probably make us realize that this is probably would disrupt our life a little bit if we leaned into this. Um, you know, and it means that you are, you are engaged in something that without, again, the power and the presence of God is going to fail. Like, think about it, the task that, that God puts before Moses, incredibly daunting. Take on Egypt, take on Pharaoh by yourself. Okay, your brother can go with you. The task of the disciples, think about this. 11 guys, just not long ago, terrified, fleeing, on a mountain, essentially no earthly power, no education, no money, launch a mission that will extend to every nation, every people on earth. Like, we just kind of take that for granted. Like, oh, well, it worked. We're here in Northeast Ohio. Like, think about that. That's absurd. That's absurd that Jesus thought that these 11 guys could do that. But it had the power and had the presence of Jesus. As disciples, we're called to put ourselves out into positions where without the power and without the presence of God, we cannot expect to succeed. I don't know about you, that's not my go-to. Like, I'm not like a venture capitalist, you probably noticed. I'm like more on the conservative side of that kind of thing, like not a lot of risk in that way. If I'm going to do, if I'm going to step out and do a, something risky for God, I want to know it's within my abilities. I want to know it's within my bounds. I feel safe in those bounds. And yet, a good sign is when you and I are out into places that make us nervous, that make us fearful, and put us in a position where without God, without the power, without the presence, we're not going to succeed. Because into that, once we do that, into that scary space, these are the words Jesus says, behold. I like that's the King James would have, behold. Look, pay attention. I'm with you in this always to the end of the age. You're not alone. Not now, not tomorrow, not at the very end of the age. When Jesus says the end of the age, he's talking about the eschatological judgment. He's talking about this moment that we are all moving towards when this age as we know it will come to an end and a new heavens and a new earth will begin. That's a big promise. One of the things Jesus does is he puts our fears, our concerns, within a big promise, a big eschatological perspective. Let me give you an example that took place at uh, Joshua Dixon School recently. Middle school, in middle school. No, yeah, not Joshua Dixon, I'm sorry. So I got permission to tell the story. But, but my son, Jude, they have their standardized test at the end of the year. And, uh, you know, kids get nervous about this, understandably. And I got sent by his teacher a video that made me so proud. Uh, Jude stands up. He was given permission to give a speech. And he says, y'all, you need to try your best to encourage them. But think about it. 20 years from now, is this going to matter? And the kids are like, yeah, yeah. Jude was right. 20 years from now, you think you're going to remember the standardized test you're taking? What is he doing? He was being very wise. He was putting it into a big perspective. 
You're super worried about this standardized test right now. Think about 20 years from now. You will not remember what you did. We as disciples of Jesus need to constantly be putting ourselves into a big perspective. As we pray, we think about the age to come because it, it puts things in a big perspective. I was just talking with someone at Midway, from Midway the other day, and I was telling this person, man, I've had a point in my life where I'm like, man, life is short. And, and he was older than, he's older than me, and he commented, yeah, the next 30 years just speed up. Oh, man, life is really short, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of us that are recognizing, or you know it more than I do. And one of the things I've read, I heard this a long time ago, and I actually read in a book recently on dying, is that, so what, what regrets do people have when they get older? Well, there's a number of them. But one of them that always interests me is that people regret that they did not take more risks. And even if you wouldn't put it that way, or maybe thinking about your discipleship, think about, I think most of us get that. Just think back on your life. Typically, you don't regret the things you did, you regret the things you never tried. You regret the risk you took, never took. If you look back at your life and you see failures, usually you don't regret it because you tried. It's when you look back and you came to a scary point and you decided to back off. That's usually, that's my case, that's usually when we regret. We regret, in other words, what we didn't do more than what we did. And what I want you to see is that as we come to this great commission, the end there are risks involved in following Jesus. Uh, think about the commissions that I've been referring to. Commissioned by, uh, by God to, to Moses, Jeremiah, and the disciples. Each of these commissions, a promise is given of Jesus' presence. Right? Commission, risky proposal, doubt and fear, assurance of God's presence. Happily ever after. Wrong. That's not the pattern, right? That's what I would like the pattern to be. I, we always want a happily ever after. Let's look back. Let's think about this. Jeremiah, just, if you know Jeremiah, just to put it mildly, he had it kind of tough. Arrested, imprisoned, left in a cistern to die. He's haunted by nagging doubts about himself, his mission, and God's faithfulness. This is after receiving a word from the Lord. Moses. Moses' life, after he gets his commission, infinitely more complicated and frustrating. Like it turns out, like tending animals and sheep, way less frustrating, way less complicated than tending people. Right? This is why sometimes people go into farming. Just a lot easier. I went from farming to pastoring, so it's good. I, I like this. This to be clear. Ends up leading the people through wilderness for 40 years. Finally, it turns out okay, right? I, went, I got a chance to go up to Mount Nebo last summer. You get up there and you look out and you can see into, from Jordan into modern-day uh, Israel. And uh, you think, man, Moses, all that, 40 years in the wilderness, all the stuff he dealt with his people, and all he gets is a glimpse of the promised land. Like, if anybody should be able to enter into the promised land to have a happily ever after ending, I think it's Moses. And yet God says, you can look at it, but you can't enter. What about the disciples? Happily ever after? Commission from Jesus, promise of Jesus' power and presence, gospel mission is launched right off in the sunset, 
No, we don't, we don't actually know what happens to most of them, but if you look at church history, tradition, it's not pretty. Church tradition tells us that every one of them but one was martyred. Just look it up. It's like one rough ending after another. Hung upside down on a cross, Peter. Death by a sword. Clubbed to death. Burned to death. Even John, who is traditionally the one uh, disciple who, who dies of natural causes, he spends his life in exile on an island. If you see these stories, like what happens here? Commission, fear and doubt, assurance of God's presence, lots of trouble. A number of years ago, I was at a, uh, a fundraising event for an organization, and uh, somebody was asking for money, which is, which is okay. But I didn't really love the way this person was asking for money, but whatever. But if I remember right, at the end of the prayer, he prayed for a hedge of protection over us. I don't know if it was like an exchange. Like you give me your money, you get the hedge. Um, I don't really know. I know what a hedge is, like bush, bushes. But I don't know what a hedge of protection is. Um, what comes to my mind is Doctor Strange. I've, I'm not a big Marvel fan, but I've, I've had to watch quite a few movies recently. And uh, what is really cool about Doctor Strange is he can uh, summon this shield, the shield of Seraphim, and all of a sudden there's this shield that protects us. Like total protective barrier from mystical or physical threats. And that's what pops in my mind. It's like, give me the hedge of protection. Give me the Doctor Strange shield so that as I go through life, the bad stuff will just bounce off. And I'm, I'm being facetious here. I pray for protection in my family all the time. I get it. That's fine. Jesus says to ask for what we need for. But I think in all our obsessive prayers about safety and safe travel to boardmen and protection, I think we miss that there's a bigger promise than that. There's a bigger promise than some hedge of protection around us, and that is of Jesus' presence. He doesn't... You all know this. You're older than I. You're wiser than I am. He doesn't practice. He doesn't promise us a life free of hardship. You know that. You know that. He doesn't promise us a life that things bad things aren't going to happen to us. Never the promise. There's going to be heartache. There's going to be failure. There's going to be pain. There's going to be loss. See, I sometimes, if you're like me, what I get frustrated with Jesus is Jesus is, is not answering promises he never gave. I have like agreement with Jesus about what he's supposed to do, and when he doesn't do it, that's when I get frustrated. The problem is he never made that promise to me. Jesus doesn't promise us a life of ease or success or comfort, but he promises power and presence. Think about that word power, because that's really backwards in the kingdom of God. In 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul, uh, he speaks about this thorn in the flesh. We're not sure what that is. So he says, I prayed three times to take it away. And this is his response he got from Jesus. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. It doesn't mean we shouldn't go to God with our needs. If you were in our series on the Sermon on the Mount, that is fundamental to be a disciple of Jesus, to daily be going to the Father with your needs. Jesus clearly instructs that. But it does not mean that our faith, it doesn't mean that our faith is going to protect us from all that. And also it means that our faith is going to have a different kind of power because the faith of the, the power of the kingdom of God is different than the power of the world. It means that God is going to 
to be with us in those trials and those weaknesses and failures, and he's going to use those for our good to grow our faith. And this is just kind of life 101 in some ways. We know this. When do we experience lots of growth in our faith? Usually when things get hard. When do we grow in compassion for others? Usually when we experience pain ourselves. When do we turn to Jesus in desperation? When we're desperate. We know this. We learn to trust Jesus not when things are going well, but when things are going hard. And Jesus, he doesn't send us the the promise that things aren't going to be hard. The promise is you will never, ever go alone. So in other places in the Gospels and the New Testament, it speaks about the Holy Spirit going with us, which is absolutely true. Um, but I, I just find this so comforting that Jesus says, I'm with you. I'm with you. Because like, in my own prayer life, I sometimes have a, I have a hard time picturing uh, hanging out with the Holy Spirit. Maybe it was my rather uncharismatic uh, upbringing. Maybe you all struggle with a similar I absolutely believe in the Spirit. It's alive and active in this congregation, in the world, in my life. I just don't always know. I, I, can't, I struggle to get in my mind, what does the Holy Spirit look like? What is the Holy Spirit's personality? But I have a pretty good idea what Jesus looks like. Jonathan Rubin. No, not really Jonathan Rubin. Maybe, I don't know. But I got a picture in my head of something that looks like Jesus. Unfortunately, Jonathan Rumi is coming into my head more and more. <laughs> I can imagine talking with Jesus. He had a body like mine. In fact, Jesus, we understand, he still has a body. That's kind of hard to get our minds around. The resurrected Christ goes into heaven with his resurrected body. He's still got a body. He means he knows my hopes and frustrations. He knows my fears. Like, when things are not going my way, I can have it out with Jesus, and he's okay with that. I think some of you have had it out with God, and that's okay. Even when I don't understand what's happening, I've got someone I can picture in front of me that promises to be with me to the end. Because if there's one fear we cannot move forward with, it's the fear of abandonment. We can overcome a lot of fears. We can't overcome that fear. We can't handle abandonment. We can't handle not being loved. And Jesus comes to us and he meets those two fundamental needs. You'll never be abandoned and you'll always be loved. Think about Jesus. He's on the mountain in Galilee. He's standing in front of his disciples and he can put out his hands and say, look at the marks on my hands. You, you don't think I love you? Look at my hands. I am always going to love you and I am always going to be with you, no matter what happens. I am with you to the very end. The other thing that's amazing is that Jesus actually passed through death and came out the other side, which means, what is the worst thing that can happen to us? We die. Jesus has been there. He's done that. He will be with us at our time of death. He will be there to wait for us and welcome us on the other side. He has removed the fear from us. I just want to say one more thing about this passage before I close up. Like a lot of places in the New Testament, the you here is plural. He's saying y'all or you all. So we understand this promise. I understand this promise of Jesus' presence with us to be uh, an individual presence. I think it absolutely is. But we've got to understand that the way that God is doing his reconciling work in the world is through a people. He's not using a bunch of lone rangers. He's using a people, a body. And the question I, I want to leave you with this morning 
and leave you as we get near to the end of this sermon series, is where is God calling us as a congregation to step out in faith, backed by power and assured by presence? What might God be calling Midway Mennonite to attempt that without God's power and without God's presence, we will for sure fail? What would that look like? See, the default in congregational life is a lot like the default in my life. Play it safe. Don't rock the boat. Avoid risk. Stick to what we know. Keep things comfortable. We're wired. And yet Jesus comes along and says, you are backed by my power and assured of my presence to the very end of the age. Yeah, we might be fearful, Jesus gets that. But can we move out in, out of that fear into something new? That's what I want to challenge you. The, the temptation is always going to want to go back to the comfortable. It's always going to want to go back to the stable. But Jesus is calling us as a people to look forward, not back, to look forward. He calls us out of predictable and safe places into new places, assuring us, assuring you that we are backed by his power and accompanied by his power.